Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast, draft recap edition with Ben Gessling on a late Saturday night. Ben, how you doing? You know, um, it's been a long week, but <laughs> hey, we got through it. They did not have a seventh round pick. Can you believe so, that? That's where we should no, start. No, I can't. I cannot <laughs> believe that. The, the fact that they did not, they didn't make a trade all day. They didn't have a seventh round pick. And if our listeners think I sound gleeful about that, they're correct because we've sat through some long Saturdays. So uh, this one, all things considered a, dra- a draft Saturday when it's, you know, I had dinner outside by a fairly normal time. Yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. It was a little bit weird to see Rick Spielman watching the seventh round and having time between his last draft pick and the mad dash and undrafted free agency. Um, it was, it was weird. It was really weird to see the Vikings do that, but he stuck to his word and saying that, look, this draft's just not that deep. We're going to go ahead and try to take uh, as many quality players as we can, not quantity. However, they still led the NFL in draft picks with 11 out of this class. So they hope they got both. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about the Vikings' top pick, Christian Derisaw. We'll get into the Kellen Mond pick, how wrong I was and how right Ben was about their direction at quarterback at this sort point. Of. Generally right, specifically wrong. <laughs> there was a lot that happened in the, in the NFC North as well. You guys might have heard something about Aaron Rodgers, maybe something about the Bears making a move at quarterback. Can you believe Andy Dalton's not QB1? Uh, the Bears told us he was. So, <laughs> you know, and I, I certainly hold up team social media accounts to be an authoritative source of news. So, yeah, I guess I am kind of surprised based on what they told us in March. One of my favorite things is how quickly Twitter digs those things up. As soon as it's wrong, it it becomes a thing right away, and I absolutely love it. All right, well, let's talk about the Vikings here. They pick Christian Derrissaw at 23rd overall, trading back from number 14 on Thursday night. They addressed the offensive line. They doubled down. Really, this whole draft, in my opinion, was about offense. It was about special teams with some defenders mixed in there, a few. But uh, Mike Zimmer got his haul in free agency. The Vikings had only added Mason Cole on offense before this draft. And what do they do? They had two blockers and Derisaw Wyatt Davis out of, out of Ohio State. And then they bring Kellen Mond, the quarterback out of Texas A&M. It's their earliest draft pick on a quarterback since Teddy Bridgewater. It is their first meaningful non-first-round pick at the position since, what, Tavar- Tarvaris Jackson, I think, right? Yeah, who was brought in to be a starter. I mean, the, yep. the, the last time they've used – and I don't I don't need – I think this is going to be bad podcasting because I'm asking a question that I don't know that we're going to have the answer to off the top of our heads. But the, well, last, time, the last time they used a day one or day two pick on a quarterback who was not – slated to be the starter or at least compete for the job right away. Yeah. That, I, I would say this, it, it is at a point before this three day format with the first two days in prime time existed. I I'm quite certain of that because that's only in the, like the last 15 years. It's been a minute. And, and it was quite the statement for the Vikings to take Kellen Mond, even though he's a developmental quarterback, nobody's saying he's pro ready. The Vikings certainly aren't saying he's a competition to push Kirk cousins as a starter saying that uh, I think Rick Spielman said, Kirk Cousins is our starter. Well, for right now, he is. And Kellen Mond... I think has been the the watchword of the week, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Kellen Mond is under contract now for two more years beyond what Kirk Cousins is with Kirk Cousins' contract set to to expire in 2022. Um, Ben, I think we need to start there. I do want to ask you, uh, we'll we'll get into Christian Derrissaw and and what they're getting in their first round pick. But the main storyline... And the thing that could be franchise altering in terms of the direction on offense is Kellen Mond. And I want you, Ben, to address the notion that people are overreacting by thinking that this doesn't mean what we both seem to think it means and that this is a potential quarterback change in waiting um, with Kellen Mond. So, so people are overreacting and saying, hey, there's nothing to see here, or they're overreacting and saying, hey, he's going to start it this year. No, sorry. I, I think people are saying that the media is overreacting or any observers overreacting by thinking that this is a challenge to Kirk, 
not, not just this year, but long-term. And it absolutely is. This is not just a developmental quarterback. Even though Kellen Mond and even though Texas A&M followers, fans, people who watch the SEC, they'll all say this kid didn't look that great. Uh, they kind of, they're kind of scratching their heads a little bit and saying, why did the Vikings make this move? Well, I'm telling you, the Vikings really like him, obviously. They pick him 66th overall, the second uh, day two quarterback behind Kyle Trask right after the Buccaneers took him. Yep. Um, ben, you would mention to me, the Vikings felt like they needed to make this move right at that moment to take him. They really wanted him. That tells me that they like his long-term future, not just, hey, he's going to be a, a nice backup for us. Yeah, they expected a run on quarterbacks there, and they were right. Kyle Trask, of course, goes to the Bucs at the end of round two. Vikings take Mond, and then a pick later is Davis Mills, who I had mocked to the Vikings just thinking that they were going to need a quarterback. And then I figured – I knew they had done a lot of work on quarterbacks, and I figured they were probably looking for a pocket passer. But Mond was the guy, and they ended up probably being right that they needed to take him there because there was that run – at the top of round three for quarterbacks and looking it up to sort of answer our earlier question, he is the highest quarterback drafted that will uh, at least in the, in the immediate term, not have started a game since 1970 when they took something called Bill Kappelman who lasted four years in the league. It was a second round pick. Uh, probably in the uh, would have been in the days of I suppose it was probably Joe Cap at that point. I'm trying to remember the timeline of when Tarkenton was in in New York, but uh, they have every quarterback they have taken in the third round or higher. It's not a long list. It's Tommy Kramer, Dante Culpepper, Christian Ponder, Teddy Bridgewater. Those are your first round picks. Um, Bill Kappelman, Tavares Jackson are second round. Tarkenton was in the third round and Kellen Mond that that's it. There's eight of them. So of the other guys, everybody other than Bill Kappelman, um, who also went to Florida state, by the way, same as Christian Potter, uh, all of the other ones have been starters. So this is, if he is not in their plans as the starter, he is the most unique quarterback they have drafted in 50 years so you can either say that they may have designs on him being the guy at some point or you can say that this is the most unusual vikings quarterback pick in a half century so you take a pick there which one seems more likely yeah and and i think there's this pushback too of like i I saw out there well the buccaneers just drafted a quarterback well tom brady's 43 Kirk, yeah. Kirk, Kirk Cousins is 33 years old. Which is not um, for a quarterback in this day and age. Not in this day and age, it's not, no. And when, when Aaron Rodgers is getting his replacement drafted when he's 37, I think it would have been, that was seen as very premature for a guy like that. Kirk Cousins has, hasn't said he wants to play into his 40s, but right now his current contract takes him up to, what, 35? Yep, he, yep. He, four years. He, he probably has visions of another contract before he retires. I don't think he's thinking that's when he rides off into the sunset. So I can't imagine Kirk sitting at home, taking in the NFL draft, seeing, you know, tuning in to see what his team's doing. I can't imagine he's too thrilled to see, wait a minute. Okay. So now I guess I'm not getting my next contract from the team that I thought was going to be a career partnership, which is what Rick Spielman said when they signed him. And that was what Kirk Cousins was hoping for. And then, Hey, we're going to ride this out together and hope that this is the guy that takes us there. Um, I guess three years, one playoff win is enough for the Vikings to say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and uh, move on with another long-term option. Now, they certainly could find out in two years that Kellen Mond's not that guy without starting him even. But it's going to add this layer of what happens when Kirk Cousins goes two and two again and looks bad in a, in a loss at Soldier Field. Are the coaches going to want to see this kid? Are they going to, what if he looks good in practice? Like all these things now are new elements added into it. That is a a big diversion from what Mike Zimmer and this Vikings organization wanted around Kirk, which was a veteran backup could help him study, could give him security, all these things. None of that is there now. Well, yeah, I think the other piece of this is that cousins contracts have bought him an extraordinary amount of leverage in the sense that it has required the Vikings to every couple of years. I mean, yes, you have to make a decision and yes, he puts himself at some level of risk of not being the guy, but they never have the leverage that the Packers have over Aaron Rodgers right now, which is 
you're signed for another three years and we don't have to touch your deal because what are you going to do about it? Cousins has done these short-term deals, which every couple of years leaves the Vikings saying, boy, there's a big cap, big cap hit at the end of this thing and we have to restructure. And then you end up giving Cousins more money and it ends up being guaranteed money. So this, this strategy he has pursued with his agent, Mike McCartney, has bought him a ton of leverage. And this, at the very least, gives the Vikings the ability to say, well, um, if we decide we don't want to do this kind of a contract again, then we have another way to go. Because Cousins has not had any kind of challenge for that job, in part because there's nobody else on the roster. And it, certainly he's been durable and he's been effective, but there's nobody else that they would even think about putting in there. I mean, Sean Mannion is, is not a serious option. I mean, you can go try to find the veteran backup, but the veteran backups are, are guys that aren't good enough to really challenge for the job because there's such a dearth of quarterbacking in the league anyway, that if you're a veteran backup, you're a guy that's probably already proven that you're just a guy. I mean, that the, the case Keenum types aren't out there. Those, those guys aren't, commonly available commodities. So I think this at the very least, I'm not saying it, it makes it so that Kirk Cousins days are numbered. I don't think this puts an expiration date on Kirk Cousins. I do think it allows the Vikings to say, if we decide we don't want to go down this road again, we have another way to go. We have another option. Yeah. Ben, you remember how loud the kind of calls and, and moans and, um, just, just, uh, booze were essentially one in five Atlanta Falcons lost going into the bye week I remember you writing, like they're lucky fans weren't allowed yep. in the, in the building at that point. What happens if anything similar to that happens when, with Kellen Mond on the sideline and, and yeah. it's not going to be fair to the kid because there's no guarantee he's going to be ready right away or when that happens or even if that's going to happen with Kirk Cousins. But we just see those things happen. The ebbs and flows of Kirk Cousins' game throughout a season seem to be so volatile compared to some of the top quarterbacks that we're almost expecting at some point it's going to happen. Like he's going to have that bad pick on a road game that's going to matter, and we're just going it, to – it's right around the corner. And, and that – I don't know. It just – it seems like we're setting up for that kind of drama where the Vikings are embracing it. They're, they are embracing it by taking this pick and saying, look, we admit – basically that Kirk Cousins might not be the guy for the next five years, you know, beyond this current contract. And that to me is a statement and it's an admission that we hadn't seen them make. And it doesn't matter what they say about Kirk's our guy. There's no competition. All of that should be with a parenthetical right next to it saying for now, because that's all they talk about in 2021. Well, and I go back a little bit. I think it was around the Super Bowl. I think he, it was maybe on like pro football talk he went on there and said something about, I, I look forward to playing this contract out and then, you know, kind of seeing where it goes from there. He said he wants to be in Minnesota, but there, the, the parenthetical to that is I'm not doing a long-term deal to let you push the cap number down the road. I'm going to play this out and then I'm going to extract whatever leverage the fact that I can go to the open market buys me. I mean, that, that is the thing. I mean, it's almost like a, I think I've said, use this analogy before, but it's almost like a comic book character where they have some type of adversity thing that happens to them. Like, you know, Peter Parker being bit by a spider, or you know, whatever example you want to use the Hulk with the gamma radiation, whatever, whatever thing they're exposed to has the side effect of making them really strong. In, in this case for Kirk Cousins, it's the fact that Washington put him through the ringer and he never knew if he was going to be the guy for the next five years. He basically said, Hey, I've learned to get comfortable with that. And I know there's going to be a job for me somewhere. Cause I, I can look at this and see that there aren't that many great quarterbacks out there. Am I Aaron Rodgers? Am I Tom Brady? No, but am I a heck of a lot better than most of the guys out here? You bet I am. So I think in some ways, Going through that, and, and he's talked about, like with Dak Prescott, the franchise tag can be your friend. I, I think it sort of taught him that uncertainty isn't the worst thing in the world because uncertainty can mean options. And, I mean, heck, we see NBA players want the opt-out things all the time. And he basically has created those for himself without actually putting them in a contract. That's fascinating to me. I guess I didn't consider 
how Kirk might be a little steeled to this and not that he was expecting it. Not that we're maybe, maybe he'll say he was, but I don't know. And, and I never, I didn't, I didn't put his Washington background into this bigger picture. And you're right. He's kind of been through that already in terms of yeah. just not, not knowing and kind of going year by year, piece by piece. And he was drafted as RG three backup. I mean, he yep. came into a very odd situation that way too, in the sense that the Redskins drafted two quarterbacks at that point it, when they took RG three at the top and took cousins in the fourth round. And, you know, right away you walk into a situation where people are like, well, why did they use a fourth round pick when they just took the franchise quarterback and spent all those picks to go up to number two overall. So he came in, I mean, even in that he was, I think, very exposed to the business realities of the NFL at a very young age. And I, he's, he's a savvy guy, I think, in the sense of he understands how the business works. And um, he, I, I think, has said, hey, yeah, the, the uncertainty isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's transition because we'll be talking about this a lot for the next year, summer, all those things. Um, let's talk about something Kirk Cousins was probably very happy to see. And the fact that they drafted Christian Derrissaw at 23 overall after trading back, after considering trading up after trading back, thinking, gosh, do we need to jump up to get Derrissaw because he might not make it to 23? Um, that's the guy they were targeting at least at 23. Can't say that that's the guy they only wanted at 14. Um, but Kirk's got to be happy that they took the left tackle of the future. And I actually believe them this time when they say that, as opposed to the, the Ezra Cleveland thing. And then also Wyatt Davis, a guard out of uh, Ohio state in the third round. So I two, see. two of their first four picks go to addressing the offensive line. They go to two positions of need, two guys that theoretically could start. We assume that Christian Derrissaw is a day one starter. Um, Wyatt Davis has the tools to do the same. He's a five-star recruit. Um, played very well at Ohio State, 24 games at right guard, could jump over to the left guard spot, probably compete with Dakota Dozier this offseason and maybe even win that job. Um, but Ben, those two guys, before we talk specifically about Derrissaw, those two guys are quite a departure from what we're used to seeing on the offensive line. Um, you wrote about that for Sunday's paper and just talk a little bit about kind of why these guys are different than the Brian O'Neills and the Ezra Clevelands that we've seen. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, right away when they picked Derisaw, Zimmer comes out and says, we wanted more size in the line. And really, the most telling thing we heard all weekend, and they were pretty honest about the size thing, but I thought the most telling thing we heard all weekend was Jamal Stevenson, the college scouting director on Friday, saying there was a directive from Mike Zimmer dating back to last fall that we need to get bigger on the line, which then makes you wonder how much of a reaction that was to – um, their current line getting its butt kicked um, maybe early in the season. I mean, you got to try to figure out when the, that those conversations happen. It might have been would, when the college season started. It could be even earlier. It could be training camp. I would like to offer one possibility for when that when Mike Zimmer said that because it could. You're right. It could be so many different. Just pick pick a game that went poorly with the offensive line. You've got your options. Um, I think. It was when Carlos Gonzalez, our great photographer for the Star Tribune, took that <laughs> Renaissance, Renaissance style photo of the entire interior, <laughs> the entire interior O-line getting caved in as the Atlanta Falcons, who had were winless and had just fired their coach, stormed into US Bank Stadium and just destroyed Kirk. Yes. And, and there was a photo of Garrett Bradbury like on his butt with his hands up. And it just it's it's your worst day at work. And, and Carlos got the perfect shot. And I'd like to think Mike Zimmer saw that and just went, you know, I lived this, but now that I'm reliving it again, <laughs> we need to get bigger. Zim doesn't read the paper <laughs> at all. Well, except for the times where he goes, but I'm out of those free articles. He, he did mention that one time. He did mention that one <laughs> specific time that, that we, that you and I both know what we're talking about, but nobody else needs to know about that right yeah. now. This is a great amount of time. That's a story for off year. Um, <clears throat> yes, I, I, it could be that it could have been earlier, I suppose it could have been, um, yeah, even in training camp. I don't know, but it, it strikes me as a bit of a reaction probably to where they've been. And as I thought about this today, as I was, I was writing the story, they've, they've kind of been through this back and forth and they have really on their identity on offense in general, but 
I, I, I thought back to after they signed Alex Boone, this would have been after 2015 when they went to the playoffs and won the division. Zimmer said something about it was at like the, the breakfast at the owners meetings. And I remember he was like, here's a quote for you. And it was like proud of the, that he was going to kind of drop a bomb. He used to do this a lot more. Um, he said something about every position on our team had a tough minded mentality. I don't know that our offensive line did. So then he, they signed Alex Boone, they brought in Tony Sperano. And then of course, later that year in October, when they first lost Zimmer called them soft and there was this kind of push for toughness even back then, but then North Turner walks, Pat Shermer takes over. Then, okay, now it's we're going away from the gap scheme and the Air Coriel stuff to zone blocking in the West Coast, and now we want a different kind of lineman. And then John DiFilippo gets fired because John DiFilippo doesn't want to run the ball all the time. And then it's, okay, we're going to bring in Stefanski, Gary Kubiak. We're going to really double down on the zone blocking thing, and we're going to get all of these athletic sort of, you know, Brian O'Neill is a converted tight end and Garrett Bradbury is, is athletic and can move. He's a light for the position, but boy, he looks great getting to the second level. Ezra Cleveland, same kind of thing. They, they built their line around these types of guys. And then now they're saying, well, we need more size, but we're still going to play the same scheme. So what it means then is you're looking for a very narrow slice of the offensive line market in a very specific type of player. And I followed up after Jamal said that I said, doesn't that make it awfully hard to, to get exactly what you're looking for? And he said, yeah, it's very difficult. So, And that's why a guy like Derisaw caught their eye because he does move fairly well, even though he's 322 pounds. And Wyatt Davis is the same thing. Derisaw and Davis are now the second and third heaviest linemen on their roster behind only, only Ole Udo. Boy, that's hard to say. I'll try saying that three times fast. But – they are now trying to get some size and they're trying to probably hold up to some of these pass rushers that have torn them up while still running the zone scheme. So it's a, it's a very interesting line they're trying to walk. And we've kind of been all over the place here over the last seven years as they've tried to figure out this offensive line thing. Yes. I remember after they drafted and here's a name for Vikings draft Knicks, and we're going to love, love this name. Um, I remember when they took Willie Beavers um, I believe the late Tony Sperano's line, excuse me, was um, he dents people. The ability to dent people. That's out. Yeah. That's in my story for tomorrow as well. Yep. And so they have gone back to finding people who dent other people. That's what the, they've gone from the, we need the athletic who can mirror these speed edge rushers and just don't get beat too quickly and all that kind of stuff to, you know what, when it's fourth and one at Seattle, I don't want to rely on Alexander Madison hitting the right hole. I just want to move people forward. And be able to knock somebody down. Yeah. And so clearly there's, yeah, there was the departure there where they are going to start pairing and piecemealing these offensive linemen a little bit in terms of styles with the hope that it can kind of coalesce and come together. Um, ben, I want to talk about Derisaw. You were at the introductory press conference where he flew in um, and arrived in Egan at TCO Performance Center. What did you learn about him when you were putting together that story and, and kind of his journey? Because um, it's a little unique. He only had the one FBS offer. He was a two-star recruit. And yet he blossoms into this first round pick. Yeah. I mean, the most interesting thing I thought was this whole, and maybe it's just because it's kind of a foreign concept in this part of the country, but this idea of Virginia Tech basically saying, you're not ready, go to this military school for a semester where you don't lose your eligibility. It's not a JUCO, but it also helps get you ready to be a college student and be a college athlete. So they told him to go to the school where you basically you have to, you know, it's a military school. So you you march in the morning, you turn in your cell phone, you live the whole kind of military lifestyle for four months, and then you're ready to go to college. So it's it's probably to to put some discipline in the old fashioned way in in a lot of ways. Um, but it, it's interesting that they've developed that relationship with a school like that and basically say, hey. Um, Go here, and it, it, I suppose, essentially means that you don't lose your red shirt either. You can go to the school and then um, get effectively redshirt the football season because you're not on campus in the fall, but then you don't lose that, and then you can come in later. It's, a, it's an interesting little um, facet of, of what Virginia Tech has done. I'm sure they're not the only ones that have done this, but I, I thought it was just a, a fascinating lane to the whole – you know, kind of roster development thing in college football. 
And I think it helps too, guys uh, transition academically too, if they don't yep. test test as well, and maybe they're That's not able. To, yeah, and maybe they're not able to get into the school. Otherwise, that helps them kind of mature. And his mom, I read a story in the Roanoke.com. Uh, his mom basically talked about like just not having Snapchat, not having all these things in his life. You, it just helped that maturity process of a young man who's only eighteen years old. Um, and here he steps onto Virginia Tech's campus and is a, is a day one starter. While you might not think and consider him as a freshman, he was one of the only FBS starters as a freshman that, that year. And he was able to start every game and, and becomes a really, uh, until he got injured, I believe that year, but he really becomes kind of a fixture for them. And really his ascension happened last year in the pandemic year. And his coach, um, we got to talk to him, the Virginia Tech coach. And he basically said, that's, he believed that was a credit to the dedication he puts into it because there were so many restrictions on these kids, on the meetings. We can't get together as often. We can't stay on top of these kids as much. So really during the pandemic, they were left to do their own thing more often than not. And to see a kid ascend the way he did during those circumstances, they felt that spoke a lot about Christian himself. Yeah. Justin Fuente, the, uh, the Virginia tech coach talked about Darisaw basically lived in a house with like three or four other football players and they would just go work out, you know, basically as a group on their own, trying to get ready and, you know, kind of in hopes that a season happens and that everybody's able to play it. And, and he essentially, I think he played through a groin injury at one point and um, had a number of things that Fuente basically said he was playing on one foot at one point, I think earlier in his career. I, I think the groin might have been last year and kind of right before the last game of the season, I think against Virginia. But, um, yeah, it, it certainly seemed like he – has figured it out i mean in terms of and i don't know what kind of nfl player he'll be but at least that that process of you know and you hear guys talk about it all the time learning how to be a pro which basically means nobody's going to hold your hand if you're not on top of your stuff they're going to find somebody else so you have to figure out how to manage your time be an adult essentially um and take care of your business It, it seems like in a lot of ways, he has figured out how to do that. So, I mean, those could be famous last words, but uh, yeah, it, it seems like a lot of this process helped him grow up. Yeah, and, and he, to put some numbers on it too, he didn't allow a sack, according to Pro Football Focus last year. Um, one of the only linemen, obviously, to start all the games and do that. Um, he was, yeah, very efficient for them. And, and when you read some of the analysts who watched and broke down all the game tape and really got into the kind of nitty-gritty of his game, um, he's one of those guys that can dent people. It's just, we're going to have maybe some issues with, I think it just, it's one of those things where I think the bigger guys, it's a lot easier to write them off as like, well, you know, you don't see the effort every play. It's like, well, you try to move 322 pounds, 70 times in a game. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to fly down the field like a wide receiver anyway. So I I tend to write, tend to write some of that stuff off until we get to see them or, you know, ourselves and try to draw some conclusions from NFL coaching. But Anyway, he seems like a solid pick at left tackle. The Vikings view him as a pure left tackle, according to Rick Spielman. He is not going to go on the right side. They're not making any change with Brian O'Neill. Ezra Cleveland, the fallout of this, is staying at guard, presumably as one of the two starters there. Uh, if he stays on the right side, Wyatt Davis might step in on the left side. Wyatt Davis, I'd mentioned earlier, is a five-star recruit for Ohio State. He's the grandson of the great Willie Davis, the yeah. Hall of Fame edge rusher for the Packers in the 1960s. Um, he's got the bloodline, got the pedigree, um, comes from a power five school. They feel really confident in him being what scouts would call kind of a red player. Like he's solid. We can just trust this kid. You know, he may not have this kind of blue chip ceiling where he's going to be an all pro, but we really believe that in the third round, he's a guy that they can rely on, which has been hard to come by sometimes for the Vikings offense. Like how much have we talked about Joe Berger over the years and what a loss that has been for that group? when you say a red player like that, that's kind of what I think of is, you know, maybe not the guy that is going to wow you with sheer technique or just physical ability, but he knows where to be. He's smart. He knows how to prepare. You can count on him. He's not going to commit dumb penalties. He's not going to be out of position. I, I think a lot of that, they haven't been able to count on that. I mean, Dakota Dozier, We've seen a lot of times where his inability to figure out stunts and pass offs and, and just deal with pass rushers in general has hurt them. So 
if you have somebody that you can just say, we can trust him and stick him in there and probably not have to pay him $12 million a year either down the road. It's a, it's not a bad thing to put as a group of amongst a group of high draft picks that you probably, if they pan out are going to have to pay in a lot of ways. Although speaking of Garrett Bradbury, I mean, they, one of the things Spielman said was it'll be good to put some size next to Bradbury. If you do that, and this is a big year for Garrett Bradbury, they make a decision on that fifth year option already after this year. And I, I will be very curious to see what happens with him if this year isn't the kind of jump that, you know, because when they made that pick, it's like, okay, because that was a pretty good, it was a really good interior line draft, really Chris Lindstrom from Boston College that ended up in Atlanta. And I think Elton Jenkins, who was turned into a, an all-pro for the Packers, was in that draft. And they were pretty adamant about, like, this is the guy. This is, you stick him in at center and he's going to be, you know, anchoring that line for the next decade plus. And this year, I think, is going to hold the key to whether that has a chance to come true or not. All right, let's take some questions here. We've got about 15, 20 minutes left. And we have a lot of questions. Um, guys, we will certainly get back to some of them too next week um, and, and as we go forward with this draft class because we'll be talking a lot about it. So if you don't hear your question read, don't worry. You can just check back in later. Um, but this question's good because it transitions into something I wanted you and I to talk about. Anyway, um, Jay Runquist asked, curious to see what you guys think about how the Vikings did compared to the rest of the NFC North. Um, you guys might have heard some, some drama in the NFC North. Uh, Adam Schefter reports Thursday, right before the first round kicks off, I guess hours before the first round kicks off, that Aaron Rodgers, remember when he kind of cast some doubt back in January, February about, you know, like, ah, you know, we'll see. I don't know if I'm going to be back. And then he tried to. What I recall, Andrew, is him, you know, just kind of saying something open-ended and a bunch of reporters running with it, adding smoke to where there was none. At least that's what he said. Exactly. Exactly. It turns out there was a lot to it. Turns oh, out there really? was. Really? Is that how that works? <laughs> I, you know, I, I haven't seen that before. To the point where Packers uh, president, CEO, Mark Murphy, has had to come out and say, we're very well aware of Rogers' issues with our organization, which you would have never heard a couple months ago before Adam Schefter breaks the story that Rogers has told people within the organization that he does not want to return. That is huge news for the Vikings' implications in the NFC North, clearly, because the Green Bay has been a roadblock in front of them in this division. That man uh, specifically has been a roadblock for them in this division. For quite some time. And so... If Mike Zimmer, and I, I, I tweeted this, so forgive me for recycling content, but if Mike Zimmer can lose Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers in the same offseason in the division, like that is the, all the defensive pr- improvement you need. You didn't <laughs> need to sign a pass rusher. You don't need Daniel Hunter. They're going to be all right. <laughs> well, in the last time, they didn't have to face Aaron Rodgers in a season, you know, for different circumstances. Some of them, cre- well, many of them created by Anthony Parr. Uh, it was 2017, and they 100% benefited from that in the year. And they had a lot of things go right that year. But that was a big one because the Packers were rolling coming into U.S. Bank Stadium for that game in October. Rodgers had had some crazy drive the week before against Dallas to lead a late comeback. And you know the Vikings had you know, won on Monday in Chicago, but that was the game where Bradford went out there and looked you know not fit to be on the field to the point where they had to bring Eric Sugarman out the next day to kind of try to calm the masses down. And, um, so it, it looked at the, the time going in that game, like this was going to be, if they, if you lose this, the Packers are going to be rolling and you're not going to catch them to win the division. And everybody, all the Packer fans that you were talking about, we're going to come to Minneapolis and play the Super Bowl in your stadium. And then Barr puts Rodgers out and then the Vikings go on the run in part. I mean, they, they were a good team and they did a lot of things, right. They have, they caught a lot of breaks, but, I think the biggest break they caught that year was Aaron Rodgers didn't play. So when you don't have to face him, it changes things an awful lot. It really does. And so we don't know what's going to happen. The Packers have told teams that inquire that they're not going to move him, blah, blah, blah. And it's all going to come down, push to shove, right? Does Rodgers show up? Is he going to play games? All those things. Um, But that certainly throws a wrench in the entire situation when you look at the division. So me assessing whether or not the Packers drafting Eric Stokes out of Georgia and Amari Rogers, who's a very good wide receiver out of Clemson, and they finally got some help uh, for that offense in terms of a dynamic threat, a playmaker on that offense. 
You got an A-Rodge for A-Rodge. That would be a problem for the Vikings. Amari Rodgers is an issue for the Vikings. And we did actually have a question, too, about um, the Vikings, I think, were in a position to get him and took um, – I think they took the linebacker out of North Carolina instead of him. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. What's going on right now in the division is just quarterback chaos because you've got Kellen Mond coming in with behind Kirk Cousins. you got Justin Fields and the Bears. The Bears are operating like we're going to lose our jobs, and rightfully so, yeah. if we don't get this draft right. So they traded up twice. They traded up for Justin Fields, number 11 overall. Then they trade up for the offensive tackle, Tevin Jenkins, in the second round. So they need to get Matt Nagy's offense back on track after Mitchell Trubisky left. Um, Andy Dalton, for all you guys listening out there, is not QB1. Um, ben, what did you think about the Bears jumping ahead of the Vikings to get Justin Fields and what that means for the division? It was interesting because, I mean, you thought before the draft, kind of just the chatter around the league, was the Bears are very much interested in going up to get a quarterback. But I think a lot of people, you, you didn't know which ones were going to be available because the 49ers kept their plans so close to the vest. A lot of people thought that might be Mac Jones. I don't think there was a ton of thought that it would be Justin Fields, but the fact that it turned into Trey Lance kind of changed the picture a little bit. So when the Bears went up and did it, it it, it did a couple things. I, the Vikings, I know, Rick Spielman said it, were looking at moving up, and they, I'm sure, were figuring they have to get around the Chargers at 13 for Rashawn Slater. I don't think they were moving up, and there's been some chatter about this, but I don't think they were specifically moving up to try to get Justin Fields. I think they had some interest in Justin Fields if he's sliding, but I don't think that was the move. And here's why. If, if you were trying to tell me they were so in love with Justin Fields that they would have moved up to get him, then the end result is you don't move up three picks and you allow a division rival to come up and get him instead. If you were that in love with him, I don't think you would allow that sequence of events to happen but the fact that they weren't able to get up there then probably meant that they could uh, it did mean they couldn't get Rashawn Slater and I think it changes the picture of things in the division I mean the, the Bears could be wrong we've seen them whiff on trades up for quarterbacks in the first round before in fact the you know Mitchell Trubisky that was the scenario so I could see a scenario where this doesn't work out, but I, I, I like fields better than I like Trubisky. And if they hit it with him and pair him with that defense, that's, I like the move. And I, I like the, I like the Tevin Jenkins move. I, I think, cause that line was awfully bad last year. I mean, the Vikings were able to kind of manhandle that line and the Vikings weren't able to manhandle much of anybody last year. So, um, yeah, it's it's people trying to save their jobs, but I, I think the bold moves are are good ones. Yeah, we've seen the Vikings lose to Chicago with Chase Daniel running yeah. the, Matt, the Matt Nagy offense. And I'm not saying that that wasn't a one-off, but at the same time, I still believe that Matt Nagy can be a good coach. I still believe that offense can be good. We've heard Mike Zimmer and, and the defensive coaches, they don't, they don't throw shade on Matt Nagy when they were throwing shade on people in Chicago. It was always Mitchell Trubisky. It was always, yep. the, it was always the quarterback. And so if Justin Fields can just be, just let his athleticism take over. I mean, this guy is head and shoulders. He's, he's, I'm trying to think of the word. He's like a souped up version of Mitchell Trubisky in terms of just more athletic, faster, more elusive, has a bigger arm, all of these things. And so it seems like a great fit for what Chicago's offense wants to be. So, if he does progress the way people think in terms of the people who are in his corner, um, yeah, it could be a problem. But it is all washed away if Aaron Rodgers leaves the division because yeah. he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. Nobody else is. Um, so back to the question, how did the Vikings do compared to the NFC North? Because the Lions still have Jared Goff, which everybody knows how I feel about him. So, Ben, I don't know how you can't look at this and say that the Vikings gained some ground. The only way they didn't is if the Packers are able to figure this thing out with Aaron Rodgers. We're, we're judging the Packers draft through the lens of they're going to lose Aaron Rodgers. And in that case, nothing else matters. I, I think I get why they – and, you know, everybody kind of was dunking on the Packers on Thursday night for not helping Rodgers and calling it a, you know, kind of a almost a trolling your quarterback kind of thing. I, I guess, but – 
I seem to recall in that NFC title game, uh, you could make the argument that having a corner that could run downfield at the end of the first half would have helped Aaron Rodgers get to the Super Bowl quite a bit. I mean, Kevin King against Scotty Miller, and that was partially a terrible call from Mike Pettin too, but um, you could argue that that would have helped him. But I, I think what they did, I mean, some of the picks made some sense. They helped their offensive line, which needed some some resources. And the the Rodgers pick, Amari Rodgers, I think is a nice weapon for them. Um, if they lose Aaron Rodgers, it's, yeah, all bets are off. It, it's a totally different thing. And I, I, I guess I would not, from what we know of Aaron Rodgers, I don't think I would be in the camp to place the bet that he's going to let bygones be bygones. And this is all going to get resolved and everybody's going to be happy and riding bikes outside of Lambeau field together in July. I, I, it just does not seem like the way he rolls. So if, if they lose him, then yes, it changes the entire picture for the division. Everybody else should feel Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota should feel emboldened, but, I think you could make the argument at that point that the Vikings should feel the most emboldened because they probably have the most settled situation on offense. And they would think that if you get to Neil Hunter back, they have their own things to work out there. But you get him, you get Anthony Barr, you get Michael Pierce, and then uh, they're off to the races. Yeah, I'll take quarterback upheaval for 100, Alex. Um, oh, sorry, right. I did there. <laughs> Got a question from Corey here. Not yes. Alex. I'll take quarterback or people for 100, Aaron. <laughs> That's right. That's right. RIP. Um, all right. Corey asks, the many project picks outside of the offensive line make me think Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer feel at least decently comfortable in their job security, uh, which Corey says he thinks is good for draft strategy. Uh, ben, what say you? That's an interesting thought process there because I, I was having that conversation with another reporter too that, that basically said the same thing and I think at the very least you can say it's as Corey said here it, it is good draft strategy you don't want to be swinging for the fences and we just got done praising the Bears for doing that but the Bears needed a quarterback and I, I think when you need a quarterback everything changes I, I think that's a, a totally different set of circumstances but yeah i i think that's probably true um or at least they are not wanting to let on that they're not comfortable in their positions i, I suppose you figure we have to try to do our jobs the way that we've always done them and if we lose we lose and we'll figure that out later but there's there's also the argument to make that and i i think there was a little bit of this with um, trying to think who was doing this, but uh, I think there was one other team that was kind of drafting a lot of projects and, and well, and probably it's probably the bears that you bring in Justin Fields. It buys job security for Ryan Pace and, uh, and Adam Gates, um, not Adam Gates. What am I saying? Matt Nagy wrong. Uh, young offensive whiz that has a short name. Um, because if you bring in the quarterback, you can say to ownership, well, okay, you got to give us three or four years to let this play out. So in some ways, if you draft projects like the Vikings did last year and, and kind of like they did this year, you can maybe go to ownership and say, we're rebuilding this foundation. and This thing's all going to hit in two or three years. So just, just keep riding with us and it'll, it'll pay off. So you could play it that way too, but I think it's probably more of let's just do what we do. And, and they tend to draft – for upside anyway. So, um, yeah, it, it feels like a fairly um, consistent draft with how they've done it in the past. Yeah. And I think the quarterback, the quarterback piece is really the center of all of yep, that. That's, that's what you sell the future on. You know, if, if, if you've got any big question about the Minnesota Vikings and their ability to put a team together, especially Rick Spielman, it's all about the quarterback situation. So, and you should have questions about that because they 100%. haven't been able to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right, Joel, your buddy Joel's got a good one here. He asks, is the Chaz Surratt pick, the UNC linebacker they took in the third round, is that a signal of their plans with Anthony Barr? And he points out that Surratt is the earliest drafted linebacker for the Vikings since Eric Kendricks in 2015. Yeah, and he also asked, um, 
this was like a follow-up to his first question, basically saying, why do we draft linebackers in the middle rounds every year when we have two good starters and we're in nickel most of the time? Uh, is it just to fill out special teams? I know coaches love that body type and skill set for special teams. That That's true. They do. And, you know, you look at the list of names that he puts in here, you know, guys like Kentrell Brothers may, and Edmund Robinson made their mark on special teams first. So I think that's part of those picks is for special teams. But I also, yeah, I agree that if you're taking one in the third round, you're aware of the fact that you're probably going to lose Anthony Barr because Anthony Barr can get out of that deal. So, yeah, I, I think it's that that pick to me was probably the biggest head scratcher for some of the reasons he lays out. But, yeah, I, I think it's uh, at least an acknowledgement of the fact that things aren't settled with Anthony Barr for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Barr obviously restructured his contract in March as part of that pay cut that he agreed to take to help them out cap-wise by saying, all right, well, then I'm going to be a free agent in 2022. So he's entering a contract year. Barr's trying to play for more money. Meanwhile, the Vikings are stacking long-term options. Surratt, very inexperienced. He only switched to linebacker two years ago. He was a quarterback for the Tar Heels, um, but yet he showed enough. The kid had, I think he had like 12 and a half sacks over the course of um, his last two years. Um, so he showed like some production in the pass rush. Maybe they view him as somewhat of a similar athlete and mold. Um, maybe if they can develop him in that kind of way. Um, I also think though, we shouldn't overreact too much on the draft slots because when you look at this draft, you're looking at some kids that are taken in the fourth round. I mean, you can pull up NFL draft profiles and usually these things are pretty bang on about a uh, kid will be in the fourth rounder, fifth rounder, sixth rounder. A lot of these were wildly off. Like some yes, of the Vikings, sir. Yeah, some of the Vikings' fourth-round picks were like, ah, he might be a seventh-rounder UDFA. And so I think with the talent pool, the evaluations, everything's so skewed in a pandemic year, Chaz Surratt might be a fourth- or fifth-round pick in a normal year. Yeah, and it's a thinner draft pool, too. I mean, you have fewer guys that were in this draft and fewer guys that played, so it's just less to work with. It, I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch how this draft progresses over the years, and, and that's the other – to go back to the question about job security that if I'm Rick Spielman and I'm arguing for my job and I get asked about this draft, I would say, well, you know, we did our best, but it's a hard one to judge us on because it's a pandemic and it's harder to scout. So um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it could, a lot of these picks could have looked a lot different because there were definitely some that there's, there's not the consensus that seems to form around these guys. So and, you know, teams like to say we don't listen to what everybody else says. We do our own thing. But the stuff you read that is, I think, typically fairly well sourced from people that are talking to scouts and, and forming those, in, in, you know, kind of senses of where people are going. Um, those probably weren't as easy to put together this year either. So using those as a rubric is probably a little more risky this year, too. All right, well, we've got to end here quickly, but we got one more from Nathan. He says, last two drafts have stacked this team for the future. He's, he's taking an optimistic view on this, saying, we got great coaches to help develop some of these young kids. I'm excited. As a Vikings fan, what am I missing? I mean, even Rodgers is gone. <laughs> I have to be missing something. Ben, what's he missing? So you're, he's looking for the banana peel. Yeah. He's <laughs> being a Vikings fan. I, what you are missing, I suppose – and I don't, I don't know that I buy this, but if you want to engage the thought exercise is that the last time the Packers did this, that they switched out the, uh, the future hall of famer and said, bye. Um, the next guy was pretty good. So it, that, that would maybe be what you're missing is their instincts that I, they had somewhere that Jordan love is Patrick Mahomes light. If that works, then yeah, that's what you're missing. Cause then you're right back to the same problem. I don't think it's going to go that way, but um, if you're looking for the nightmare scenario, it's that they got their third one and Jordan love is going to be the guy for the next 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be the nightmare scenario for sure. Or like that they move on from Aaron Rodgers and somehow acquire Deshaun Watson or something. Um, all right, let's do one more. We got to Ryder Jensen asks by not taking a high value defensive end, the Vikings must be pretty sure Daniel Hunter is 100% and will be there week one. Uh, do you think they will sign an Everson Griffin type free agent trade? Basically, the question is, are they done adding a defensive end? 
I don't know that they're done. Um, I I do know they were very interested in pass rushers there. I mean, when they liked Quiddy Pay a lot, they liked Jalen Phillips a lot. I think that's probably where they would have gone if the linemen had not been there. And from what I heard, I mean, Zimmer basically said it, that it got tense in that room. And part of the reason it got tense was related to pass rushers, from what I heard, is that when the pass rushers went off, Zimmer was sitting there saying, uh, Rick, is this going to work? Uh, are you going to be right about this? So, you know, probably with a few more adjectives that aren't repeatable on this podcast because we don't put an E rating on it. But I, I do think they were interested in pass rushers. And so you're saying when Jalen Phillips went 18 to Miami and then Quiddy Pay went 21 to the Colts, it was getting a little hairy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it was. I mean, Rick and Zim basically said it, and I've heard from other people that kind of said the same thing that Rick took us on a bit of a roller coaster ride. And he, well, I remember, I mean, you look at the last year too, when they released that video of Justin Jefferson before they picked him. Rick is talking about trading back with the second pick, which they did. And he's like, we'll be able to get a corner. And Zimmer goes, what corner is still going to be there? I mean, it's this kind of thing. <laughs> Mike we're going to be okay. You just got to trust me. So I think that's a common thing in that room. I, but I do think they wanted a pass rusher. So yeah, I think they feel like they can probably get it worked out with Hunter. I think they will in the end. I don't think this is a Rogers type situation. I don't think it's going to be Everson Griffin specifically. I, I would be surprised if it's Everson Griffin based on what I've heard. I, I think that ship has, has very much sailed. Um, but yeah, if there's a if there's a pass rusher out there, I certainly think it's it's uh, a place they could still look to add. Yeah, the Vikings are currently sitting with Daniel Hunter, Stephen Weatherly, DJ Wanham, and then they brought in Patrick Jones uh, out of Pittsburgh as their first defensive end addition, and then I believe also added another pass rusher. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but either way, the Vikings ended up adding a couple yeah, of them. Florida State. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, uh, yeah. Robinson out of Florida state. So, yep. it, you know, they took their fourth round swings, you know, they, they did the things they normally do, but yeah, they didn't add the one question I had about this draft, Ben. And when somebody asks the, the previous question, I should have brought it up. What am I missing? Well, it's that you're banking on Daniel Hunter, Anthony Barr coming back fully healthy at the peak of their abilities and are just going to restore this pass rush to what it was. Corners. Um, and then, yeah. And then basically realizing too, that, well, if the passers can't do it, are, are these corners going to hold up Is Patrick Peterson, the same guy, I think there's a lot of questions about this defense still. Um, and obviously we got a lot of time to figure out what this defense is and how it's going to come together. All right, guys, that'll be it for this episode of the access Vikings podcast. Thank you for checking out all of our draft week episodes. We will be back next week. And the week after that discussing plenty of developments with the Vikings this spring, uh, they got rookie minicamp coming up, OTAs. They will get some players on the field, and we'll be back to talk to you guys all about it. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>